This is Edge Cases. I'm Andrew Pontius, and this week I'm joined by a new guest co-host. Uh, Justin, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure thing. Hi, uh, Justin Kaufman, and uh, so I am an iOS developer. I've been doing apps since the App Store was launched in 2008, and um, I actually came out to San Francisco a couple of years ago to work on accessibility and uh, did a stint at Apple, but now I'm back at Raise Labs, where we uh, build apps as a consulting shop, so kind of multiple platforms and uh, iOS in particular. Cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, and then what's our topic this week, Justin? I was hoping to talk a bit about how to use text and audio to describe video. Uh, so you may know this as uh, subtitles or closed captions and also something that you may be less familiar with, uh, descriptive audio. Sounds good. And uh, as you can see uh, in the grand edge cases tradition, uh, my cat has decided to, to add something to say here as well. Uh, okay, so first an explanation. Uh, Wolf is going to be away for about a month. Now, edge cases has gone on hiatus before, but this time I decided to try a little bit of an experiment. I turned to my friends at the local chapter of NS Coder Night, and this is the San Francisco chapter, the one I go to. Now, if you don't know what NS Coder Night is, it's a weekly social gathering every Tuesday night where people just get together to, to talk. And it's a lot like edge cases in that it's uh, developers, mostly Apple-related. But we don't always talk about tech. We just talk about whatever comes to our minds. And I've been going for years and years. And I so I've gathered up a couple of the developers that I know to help fill in while Wolf is away. Now, I had hoped to have it all arranged by airtime by the time I announced it uh, today. But there's still some stuff going on, so I'm not quite sure how many people I'm going to get for this. But I believe I've got at least two people, so we're going to have at least two episodes while Wolf is out. Now, that may mean that we still got a couple of episodes that, that don't happen, so a couple of weeks where there are no episodes. And, and I apologize for that. Uh, if you want to know when that's going to happen, you can follow our uh, Twitter account, which is edgecasesshow.com, all one word. But again, we should have at least two. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm really excited about it. So, and then the second thing is that I've mentioned before that I tend to like when it's kind of my topic slot to do the topic myself instead of having the guest co-host do the topic uh, for me. But when it's for a whole month, I figured, well, I, I want it to be to fill in for that for a whole month. And I'm also eh, kind of changing my mind about it. I think it's going to be interesting to hear what other people have to say. So, uh, so again, I'm looking forward to it. And Justin, why don't you take it away? Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, so uh, let me open by saying that I don't know anything about television. I chose this topic specifically because it was of interest to me. You know, I, I really like assistive technology and accessibility. Um, and this was an area that I didn't really know much about um, coming into this. And so uh-huh. uh, I'm actually going to rant a little bit uh, first, maybe, about why I care about it. Uh, and well, We love rant on it. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, it should be pretty uncontested that software is beautiful, uh, abstraction is fantastic, and it's why we have day jobs. Um, and we think a lot about the separation of um, uh, content and form and uh, all of that in, in things like HTML and, and so on. We, we love to uh, separate the data from how it's displayed. And we think about this often in the context of APIs, whether, uh, you know, software interfaces and um, Frameworks and in many ways, it's a solved problem. You know, you have data in, data out. It's the standardization and the abstraction of this that lets us do crazy things like run the same operating system on a whole bevy of hardware configurations, sure. you know, thanks to driver infrastructure. So this is all you know, well understood. 
But it's really kind of cool when the same sort of standardization and abstraction uh, works for people, um, lets us do new things. Uh, so think about something like uh, EventKit. You supply the event information, it, it displays in calendar, but that same data can uh, fuel reminders for notifying you of something that starts or even something really esoteric like refresh app that tells you conversation topics for whoever's on your meeting. Uh, and it's the same crazy uh, abstraction of the frameworks that lets, and here it comes, uh, someone who's blind or vision impaired uh, use the iPhone and Mac uh, and any number of other accessibility features as well. Because the frameworks, this UI accessibility protocol, uh, lets you vend layout and content to the system and then all of these accessibility features consume that very abstractly. The, the app has no idea who's going to use it and right. lets mm-hmm. you navigate it. And you talked about this a lot with Wolf on uh, the accessibility podcast earlier this year. And actually, uh, you know, did a great job, frankly, if I may say so. And I'm not going to review all of that. Well, thank you. And um, so I find this thrilling that you can use something like VoiceOver to describe the operating system with audio or switch over to navigate it with just a tilt of the head. That there's that that separation there, and so um, I'm not going to try to justify it. Uh, you know, there are varying statistics for how many people in the U.S. and abroad have some degree of uh, vision impairment or motor disability. Another number for deaf and hard of hearing, and there's been kind of a growing mainstream conversation uh, about how important accessibility is, uh, especially for the blind and vision impaired. And um, we saw this in 2013 WWDC with right. the mm-hmm. several minutes of video. Yeah. And, you know, podcasts like this one and, and, and so on. Um, and kind of one of the cool things about this abstraction is also that it, it doesn't um, discriminate. It's not only for people uh, who are deaf or hearing impaired or vision impaired. You, you very often see people using the same features um, that uh, you might expect someone with disability to use uh, in ways that are unexpected. For example, have you ever seen someone use, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, (laughs) uh, The touch, how am I blanking on this? Um, Assistive touch, pardon me. I have not. I've I've heard about it, but I haven't haven't seen anyone actually using it. Have have you? Yeah, absolutely. So that's great. That's very cool. Yeah, all over. I mean, you get on BART, uh, that's the the train we have here. And, um, people will use it in lieu of the home button so they don't have to press the home button or if the home button's broken or if they think it gets less squishy or something. Uh, so I've seen that kind of all over the place. And another area that you, you see people using accessibility where it's kind of unintended or unexpected is things like closed captions um, and things like subtitles. And so uh, um, there's actually a story about this from, from last week that I find Amusing. So my girlfriend's been trying to get me to watch uh, the show on BBC for as long as I've known her. Have you ever heard of um, Hyperdrive? No. Okay. I, not as a show, no. Uh, yeah, right. Well, it's kind of a trope, but it's about six years old. And um, it's about a bunch of low-ranking British civil servants on a spaceship. So they're kind of piddling about the galaxy doing stupid tasks. Okay. Yeah. Bear with me here. So last <laughs> month, I finally broke down and I'm like, all right. I'm going to watch Hyperdrive. Spun up Netflix. And uh, I, so we're, we turn on the first season, you know, hit play. It will go through all of them. And about five minutes in, I just had to hit pause. I just couldn't do it. Um, there, it all of the characters were clearly British and speaking English, but the words were completely indecipherable to me. 
Uh, I have no idea why. Uh, something in the accent or slang was throwing me off. Um, so maybe they were talking really quickly, right? Yeah, exactly. I, mm-hmm. I know that your listeners of your podcast are familiar with the challenge. <laughs> so it was, it was bewildering. I couldn't follow the story at all. And th- nonetheless, there were, there were other people somewhere, probably across the pond, who could enjoy the exact same media in a way that I, I was completely incapable. Uh, and so, you know, she and I we look at each other, I shrug, and I'm about ready to leave it there. Um, and then she enabled the same language subtitles intended for the deaf and hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. And BBC is really great about this, actually. They caption all of their content. Um, it's really kind of fantastic. And Netflix, you know, respected it and, uh, you know, transferred it along with the media. And now we're a season in and there's no trouble at all. So do, have you ever turned on captions just because, just for your own use? Well, I've, you know, and this, it's an interesting uh coincidence here, but, but I actually, I'm a bit hard of hearing myself. So, uh, in order not to deafen myself by needing to turn it on so loud that I can hear every scrap of conversation in TV shows and movies, I actually turn on closed captioning in, in Netflix on movies I'm watching on my TV, etc. uh, all the time. And mm-hmm. one thing I did notice was that Netflix uh, a couple of years ago was just starting to add closed captioning to its streaming services and now, pretty much everything I've ever looked at in the streaming service does have captions, and so I've, I've been very pleased with that. Yep, yep, that's right. And I mean, that's relatively recent. It's kind of amazing to yep. see this all kind of come into practice while, while we're watching. I'm not used to seeing that. It's kind of a new platform thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think other listeners may have more experience with um, kind of a different sort of caption, uh, uh, subtitles for foreign language films. So. Sure. Um, actually kind of an interesting coincidence. Uh, so a few years ago I was flying out here and the flight was, it's like five hours. I was coming from Boston and, um, I brought a few of my favorite films, right? So uh, that's 2001, a space odyssey, uh, and another one, Solaris. I won't get into it. You should read the book. I promise. Um, the book's and great, so, yeah. yeah, so, so I plug in my headphones and I pumped up the volume and th- there was, there was no audio basically. Uh, I was watching on my MacBook and uh, turned up my headphones even more, you know, whatever I could, max volume. Turns out that the, the airplane around me, the cabin noise, was just, just much, much louder, overpowering. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was maddeningly loud. Uh, and so it can actually reach something like, I think it was um, 80 decibels in, in commercial aircraft, just like just being around it. And uh, so it was not safe. It was not good. It was unpleasant. And so in that case, you could kind of, sort of say that I was suffering from a temporary or like situational disability that in that context, there was no way I could hear anything. And that's kind of a a neat way to, to think about this in general, that, um, it's not a permanent, uh, condition, but for as long as I was in the plane, I wasn't going to be able to hear. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so fortunately I had this other film. I had Solaris, uh, which is Russian with English subtitles. Right. And I can enjoy it because the publisher, made this decision that they were going to accommodate my needs as an English monoglot, right? So here's this, um, uh, in, you know, this guy never bothered to, to be a member of the world society, but we're going to deal with it anyway. We're going to burn in some, some captions on the bottom. And so they basically rendered it accessible to the English-speaking population and coincidentally made it enjoyable in a, a very loud airplane cabin. So this is kind of a topic that affects everyone in that, in that way. 
Um, and especially as we start thinking about uh, new form factors or contexts or, you know, h- how would you watch a WWDC video while you're jogging? Or how would you uh, enjoy this podcast um, if you were listening to it from a tablet? Or how would you uh, enjoy this session if you're watching on a TV versus driving a car? You start thinking a lot more about consuming that media in a lot of different ways. And that's, so that's kind of the, the appeal to the mainstream. Um, you're going to be uh, watching, listening, reading uh, somewhere that you don't expect in this kind of age of ubiquitous computing. Uh, so let, let me take back. Um, I used a couple terms. I, I said subtitle and I said closed captions. Um, and later I'm going to talk about descriptive audio. And in both of, for both subtitle and closed captions, I'm talking about text that's substituting for the audio in the program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you probably understand this better than most, but um, intuitively you kind of have the idea that subtitles are for movies and closed captions are when you're in the bar and it's too loud and you just see it scrolling along the TV. Uh, but, but there actually is kind of an interesting technical distinction. Oh, yeah? Uh, so maybe your listeners all know this, but subtitles are generally intended for translation. Um, mm-hmm. And so even though the movie I had was just visual, um, it had the text for the, for the dialogue. Uh, and in this case, it was actually in the video itself, uh, burned in as, as part, part of the picture. Uh, and so the fact that it was part of the picture that I didn't have to turn it on is actually where we get the word open from. So it's, it's, they're open subtitles or open captions. And um, before DVD with uh, selectable tracks, most subtitles were open captions. Uh, and so, by comparison, um, anything that is selected okay. mm-hmm. is a closed caption, right? Oh, I never, yeah, I never knew where that came from. Yeah, and and so uh, they helped me with with the noise because they were, you know, on by default. I had this very low fidelity video, um, but it wasn't enough. So these open subtitles. They were just for translation, lacked a lot of information that I needed to enjoy the film. Uh, so, for example, they're positioned bottom center and they, they stay there to, regardless of who's speaking. So if there were scenes with rapid dialogue um, and off-screen narration, I, I didn't know who was talking at all. Um, so you can imagine kind of, you know, you're overlooking the cliff and the credits roll and there's someone speaking and you don't know if it's a male or, or a female because that's all... Uh, assumed of viewers because with subtitles it's basically assumed that you're hearing and that you can use auditory cues like the speaker's voice or the tone and timbre to to figure out who they are uh-huh. and um, it, it also lacks some stuff that's kind of important for for uh, understanding the storytelling for example just sound effects or uh, environmental noises uh, so in Solaris there's kind of this creepy patter of um, footsteps in, in the space station and mm-hmm. that was completely absent and so there's this guy looking furtive but you have no idea why um, and so that's why closed captions came to address these limitations uh, and, and so closed doesn't really say anything about the descriptiveness of the text um, but the concepts are related because you wouldn't enable uh, basic subtitles, there's, there's no, I mean, you, for, if you're selecting the language, you would. But um, it used to be that to receive the extra information about um, 
which speaker it was and where they were and the tone and, and things like that, you had to have a decoder box that was on your TV. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And so later, uh, or a special remote. And so you were, you were toggling that on. Uh, and so they were closed by default. Um, and so that's where we get this association between uh, closed captions and subtitles for the deaf and hearing impaired, uh, which is kind of, kind of an, an unusual association. There, there's a technical meaning here, and we're kind of violating it. And as usual, this is just kind of a U.S. thing. So there may be people following along who are just like, what are you talking about? You know, I see SCH. Uh, I have no idea what you're referring to. You're making a mountain out of molehill. But yeah, that's true. Uh, it's kind of a U.S. and Canada thing. We bungled it. No other countries make this distinction uh, elsewhere. Again, the distinction is between? Between closed captions and subtitles for the deaf and hearing impaired. So we have this association of captions with with, um, accessibility, but uh, it's complicated, but each country treats it differently and even names it differently. And uh, the distinction is much more explicit uh, overseas. Uh, And so... There's this whole long history that I'm going to omit because it's rather boring, but it has to do with all the different transmission uh, standards and exactly which scan line contained this text. Because remember, it used to be analog. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it had to be encoded and decoded that way, and you had to have this special decoder. But the the bottom line is um, that the FCC requires that large TV networks caption the vast majority of the content that they air. Um, and so this all came to be with the uh, Television Decoder Circuitry Act of 1990, at least in the U.S., and it had this interesting, uh, this interesting caveat that uh, every TV needed to include a decoder for closed captions except devices with screens smaller than 13 inches. Do you, do you want to guess why? Um, oh, man. Well, this was 1990, you said? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I don't know. So it, it was presumed at the time that captions would be completely illegible on anything smaller than 13 inches. Uh, yeah. Well, but was there a specific device in mind at that point? At that point, it was for televisions. Right, and, and so anything small, you know, a TV smaller than that wasn't displaying uh, much. Maybe three twenty lines, right? What was it? So right, they yeah. So they had those good old portable TVs that you could carry around, right? That were yep. smaller than that. Had but one. that that was yeah, right. But that was the the most you could do, right? And and it was all really tiny and not very easy to see. It was mostly hey, you get some sort of, you know, some sort of bit of a television picture for the sake of when you're walking around. But it was never meant to be, you know, crystal clear quality, I don't think. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so from 1990 until 2010, we existed with this legislation that we were transmitting all this stuff over the air and even extended to digital TV. And it was all captioned, but nobody is really consuming that stuff anymore in the same way that we used to. I mean, today, where you are talking about Netflix, how do you watch most of your TV and movies today? Um, well, I watch, I watch it on my computer so it's still bigger than 13 inches although not by much anymore yeah. uh, but i do watch some some video on my on my phone and on my ipad so yeah. yeah and i mean i'm not a lawyer but that original act also included details of whether it was a television with certain circuitry and whether it could you know grab right. signals over the air and so on 
Well, it's got to be all different now, right? Because it's it's digital. The digital, the switch over to digital uh, signal broadcasting for one, but then also what you broadcast. You know, like Netflix. Like, how is Netflix covered by this? I'm sure you're getting to this. No, no, no. That's that's right to ask, and kind of nobody really knew. And that's the, the, the big open question. How is Netflix covered by this? And um, they've been uh, approached by, obviously, all the, the um, advocacy organizations, and there have been some scuffles. But this was recently addressed with the 21st Century Communications and Video Act. So that's from 2010. And it expanded those regulations um, about displaying closed captions to anything that could display video and sound. Anything. Mm-hmm. And so in the years hence, you know, since, we've started to begin recognizing and enforcing and defining what that actually means. But we still don't really know everything. And so nobody wants to make bold statements about who's liable or what it needs to do to you know, be conforming and so on. Uh, but Apple did a lot of work in iOS 7 and OS 10, 10 9, Mavericks, to support new forms of media accessibility uh, in anticipation of this law applying to their devices and also to uh, publishers and, and uh, media producers. And so you can actually see this if you go under settings uh, and then accessibility, there's an entry now for subtitles and captioning. And uh, that has a single uh, toggle. It says prefer closed captioning and uh, subtitles for the deaf and hearing impaired. Prefer CC and SDH. Uh-huh. And so what that does is actually tap into AV Foundation, and then by default, anything using AV Foundation like Media Player will include closed captions in the playback UI. Okay. And so that's just on by default. Um, but behind the scenes, there's this you know crazy degree of customization uh, that the regulations required. Like for for the closed captions, both the media and the user can specify. Everything from the language to the font, the foreground color, you've got like opacity and whether it has a drop shadow or it looks like embossed. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, And so uh, all of that you'd have to replicate uh, if you were to create your own player. But Apple did that and and so it's completely free, uh, which is awesome as usual. Um, And you can actually check out the DubDub presentation to learn more about what you have to do if you're going to implement your own player. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or if uh, you have to add support for editing as a video editor, for example, you have to be responsible for those settings and previewing and allowing you to, to change all that. Um, what format does, does the, like the MP, MP4, whatever, the video format, um, that has sections that deal with embedding this information in a movie? Yeah, exactly. So uh, the the QuickTime container and MP4 and and you know, related, uh, this has media streams with atoms that uh, and various metadata that link it together, so to describe that content yeah. and how it displays. And you have to use obviously this the standard headers and stuff to make sure that um, your player knows what what it's doing, and that depends on the player. Um, but yeah, there there's. Uh, there's a standard for how to display, uh, for example, SCC captions files uh, or SRT for subtitle files. Um, and there's information on how to embed that and how to translate that into something that can be in a QuickTime container. Mm-hmm. And that's all stuff that uh, 
that Apple has documented on the QuickTime site. Um, and you can also just uh, search around and find a lot of resources on that. So um, notably, actually, what's really cool is that this all works with AirPlay as well. So you can have a file on your iPad, and as long as it's actually the file and not a live stream, uh, you can throw that up to your TV, and the closed captions will be there too. Oh, is, so the TV is interpreting the file and and pulling out the metadata from it and, and displaying that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Actually, sorry, I misspoke. I didn't mean uh, live stream. Both live stream and anything QuickTime works with the closed captions. Yeah, right. it's pulling it out of there and it's displaying it properly. Um, you have to be careful with HTML5 because with HTML5, you're telling it that there's actually a separate media track. So it's not actually part of the video. So when you... Uh, send that to your TV, it's getting only the video stream and um, it's not pulling up the associated text media. Mm, okay. So, so anyway, uh, it, it doesn't matter which you're using, HTML5, HTTP, MPEG4, it's all timed media. And so uh, you can talk about timed text, that's how it's referred, whether it's subtitles for the dialogue uh, or captions which include stuff like the music, the, the speaker, the tone, and uh, the environmental sounds, and, and so on. Uh, but what, what's kind of cool, actually, is uh, that you can also include other stuff. Uh, you know, other tracks could include uh, commentary from the director and cast. You can think of that as just an, another alternative media stream. Um, or you could dub the audio in another language, and so on. And so uh, next time that you're in a bar or something, uh, watch the closed captions because it's pretty cool how they're arranged to make sure that you can follow along. Uh, Stuff like sound effects are up top. Uh, Dialogue will be in caps near the speaker. If it would cover something, they'd move it up top, et cetera. Like there are a lot of rules around this to make sure that you can enjoy it the same as anyone else without without losing track of the story. It's it's pretty cool. So it it includes... Uh, 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 X Y coordinates for the, you know this text at this time in this location. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there there are a few different formats. There are a few different ways that you can do this. And kind of the the biggest limitation is that nobody completely agrees on the right way to do it. Um, but you can do any number of things depending on how you're displaying it. You can add a text track as a QuickTime resource, which is just subtitle text, um, which is kind of hacky. Um, you can use uh, SRT captions, which are just line break delimited, and it's you know index, start time, end time, text, etc. Mm-hmm. Or you can do something more complicated, like um, sonic scenerist captions. Those are like real captions for accessibility that have like what you were talking about. Um, they have uh, font, they have position, um, and they have timing as well. And that's uh, considerably harder to to pull together and encode. Um, it's pretty technical. And uh, if you're ever curious, actually, you can grab a, a file and use an app called Subler, and that'll let you uh, take a peek at the different uh, media tracks that are embedded. And so, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, you can inspect anything that you have. Even after ripping it, it, it still works, uh, for the most part, if you're using popular ripping software like Handbrake. Um, and so... That's, that's most of what I had about captions. Um, I think that most of the people who uh, will care about captions will already know about them 
uh, as publishers because there are these legislative requirements. But uh, if you're doing a video podcast, it would be super cool to include that. Uh, and it's also something that you should be aware of uh, if you're ripping media or if you're uh, hoping to to save stuff, you know, backup Blu-rays and stuff, uh, if that's something you do. Uh-huh. Uh, find it very useful. Uh, but there's also another another part of this that you, I wanted to touch on briefly, which is that, you know, so far we've been talking about text alternatives to audio, but there's actually another way around too. Um, you can have an audio substitute for what's visual. And that's really, really fun. Um, you know, if you need it, it's maybe a little bit less fun, but it's a really awesome thing that we can even do this at all, that we can embed another uh, layer of audio and describe what's going on on screen for people who are uh, blind and vision impaired. And it's really an art, just like you have to be careful with the positioning of captions for the deaf and hearing impaired. You want to make sure it doesn't cover anything up. Uh, Similarly, with descriptive audio, you want to make sure that uh, you are not uh, overlapping any dialogue um, or obstructing important environmental sound effects and and so on. Sure. And so this is pretty much... uh, an unknown topic to the lay audience. Have you ever heard of descriptive audio? Uh, I have not. It makes sense, but I have not heard of it. Yep. So you can actually check it out on your TV. If you switch the audio tracks, you can turn it on. It's often called DA for descriptive audio, uh, or maybe SAP, which is kind of a, a, an unnamed of the, uh, audio world. It's just secondary audio program. Mm-hmm. And, um, there are about four hours a, a week of uh, broadcast requirements for major networks, and that's supposed to ramp up and um, expand the cable and so on. But if you're trying this out at home, you can um, do, I think both Family Guy and Cosmos on Fox have it, so you can you can try it out. Mm. Oh, good, good, good point. <laughs> and um, so uh, it depends on which DVD you get, but maybe sometimes also the Blu-ray includes it. You can't can't always tell. Um, but what's neat about it is that they will actually explain the scene in the gaps during the dialogue. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So you'll record all of it and you'll mark, you know, when there are dead times and you'll go through and try to talk really, really fast and, um, uh, and fit everything in. And it's, it's an interesting alternative way to enjoy the program. Uh, also it's, uh, real art to choose the things worth focusing on. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially when you're describing everything like uh, who's speaking, but also uh, their tone, their, you know, their facial expression, um, what it, sounds are important, especially for something like family guy, where so many of the gags are visual. Uh, it's, it's uh, a, a good experience to, to try that out. And so, um, uh, if you wanted to do that at home, uh, for whatever reason, um, maybe you know someone who would enjoy your content that way, there's no good way to do it right now. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah, you can, you can just uh, grab your media um, and drop the, the audio a few decibels and overdub it, which is you know, the best you're going to get, and then use um, something like Subler to, to include it as a, as a secondary track and set the alternate. Uh, as the main, so you can swap between the the main audio and the described audio um, if if you need to. I mean, it strikes me that it's it's basically another dramatic performance, really, because it's not like it's cut and dry what to put in it, how to describe it, how long it you sh- it should take. So you really need to basically get someone who you need to write new dialogue, you write new content in order to be able to 
do justice to the visual content of your of your show or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as a as a kind of a bar bet, I promised a friend of mine that I would describe Koyanis Katsi, uh, which is this you know famous zero dialogue landscapes and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, time lapse. And thankfully, I haven't actually kept that promise. Otherwise, I'd probably go mad. But it really is a performance that you have to um, select the the best elements of of the broadcast to to share. And things like Family Guy, which are on a very tight timeline and budget, often miss jokes. Um, and sure. it's, it's tough to watch. Like, uh, I was watching an episode with description on, and um, there were two people in Family Guy, you know, dead on the living room floor. And characters are talking about these dead people, but they're never actually pointed out as existing or being dead in the descriptive audio. And yeah. uh, very, very unusual and kind of uh, uh, surprising experience to, to in, to watch something that way. So a good description is very hard. And um, fortunately pioneers like WGBH in Boston are doing a fantastic job of, um, of describing content when they, when they get to. And so, yeah, so I, I just basically wanted to give a, an overview of the different ways that video is kind of more than it seems and how you can, you can use text or audio to represent it in different ways. And uh, it, it's definitely a, a fun experiment if you've never done it before to try descriptive audio, uh, as well as um, consider whether next time you're on the bus or something, you can use captions instead of trying to jam your headphones ever deeper into your ear. Now, do you know if descriptive audio is one of the things that's supported by AV Foundation? Uh, it is not. Yeah. No. Not, uh, not, not. not yet, anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I have no insight into that, but uh, it's definitely the direction the community wants it to go. Yep. Cool. So in terms of, of, you know, what sort of iOS developers can do at this point, um, there really isn't that much that they need to do as far as, as far as video playback is concerned. As you said, it's, it's built in. If there's, if that metadata exists as part of the, the video that they're showing, that they're streaming, it will show up for you. Is that the case? Yeah, that's right. So if you're using um, AV kit on the Mac or uh, if you're using media player and, uh, uh, AV Foundation on iOS, and you're not implementing your own uh, player view, uh, you're you're good to go. Um, you just have to think about when you create content, and if you're creating an editor or you're creating a transcoder or something like that, you just have to be aware that uh, that data needs to be preserved. Sure. Now, do you know if there are any? So you talked about if you were to make your own video playback uh, class or or module or something like that that you'd have to take into this sort of thing into account. Do you know of any third-party video players? Gosh, um, not offhand, yeah. um, but I could imagine that someone like Netflix, if they had uh, any DRM, would want to implement their own their video own, container yeah. and display it. And in that case, they would need to query all of these accessibility parameters and um, make sure that they displayed the captions yeah. exactly as you know some uh, relationship of the sure. user settings and so on. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Okay. We've got a bunch of background noises in this show. Uh, sorry, everybody. But uh, we'll do what we can. Uh, great. So is there anything else? Uh, nope. That's, that's most of what I wanted to cover for, uh, for accessible media. Okay, cool. And so I did want to uh, make sure we were able to, uh, to mention at the end, uh, Justin, you are involved in the upcoming AltConf, right? <laughs> Yep. Uh, so that's for for the uninitiated, kind of a, a parallel WWDC right. run by the community. 
Sure. And so that's going to be the same week as WWDC, which is June... What? Second through sixth. Second through the sixth. And it's going to be... Well, we won't go into too many details just yet, but the website is altconf.com, right? Or is that yep. not it? Yep. Okay. That's right. Cool. And there's, I think there's already some speakers uh, mentioned uh, on the website and uh, more details as we get closer. And one reason I want to mention, because you're involved in it, you're a volunteer helping out with it. Uh, and then also I wanted to mention that... Uh, uh, currently, uh, Wolf and I are planning on doing a on taping a show during AltConf. I don't think we we don't know all the details yet. I'll get to that when we when we get more when we get closer to it. But I think it's uh, we're going to attempting to do it in front of an audience. So if you are around that week, uh, you know we're going to let you know when it is, and we'd be happy for you to come down and, and uh, hear us out. Maybe uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing for it, but. Uh, you know, I hope, I don't know, I hope to get a, maybe some questions and things from people, get a little bit of uh, interaction, but we'll see how it goes. And then also, uh, um, Justin, did you want to mention uh, where you work? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so uh, I work at Raise Labs. Uh, we're the full service uh, mobile development shop. We do everything from design through development and strategy. And uh, we're actually also helping out with uh, AltConf this year as a partner. So Right, mm-hmm. Definitely grab a grab an alt comp shirt from us, and uh, I'd love to see you also at the labs. Uh, so we'll be helping out with the labs as well, and definitely a great place to crash. So check us out. Cool. All right, and again, uh, Justin, thanks for uh, giving the topic this week. Really appreciate it. And for everyone out there, we will see you next time.